You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Good morning. Good to see everybody. Today we'll continue our look into uh, several psalms, the things that God's people of old were given to sing. And today we turn to a psalm of which a few passages will be quite familiar to us. Psalm often uh, cited at funerals, or a portion of it, some of the uh, cheerier portions, if there can be such at a funeral. More comforting portions of the psalm are read. But in all, there's some uh, unsettling things in this psalm, uh, things which we normally wouldn't bring up at a funeral, or, well, if we had our druthers, not much anytime else either. And so, uh, a, strong, a song of death. And uh, I know I'm, uh, uh, next week, Lord willing, planning to preach this at a lectureship that's geared primarily to youth. And so, either this is a vitally important topic, central to the gospel, something of God worthy for all to consider, or I've totally misjudged what I'm supposed to do, and I'm going to maybe be the worst motivational speaker since uh, uh, Matt Farley was living in a, down, a van down by the river trying to motivate the kids. And so we'll see how this goes. But we have a psalm of death, a thing that God would have his people sing. One thing we've not noted is we've too much if we looked at the other psalms because it hasn't come up, but in a great number of psalms, there is in the center of the psalm a key verse, which kind of unlocks the meaning of the whole thing. Uh, so often, and we might have mentioned this with Psalm 32, it's, uh, so often we put the most important thing at the beginning and then explain it, or we put the most important thing at the end as we build up to it. But quite often in Psalms, not every time, but quite often in Psalms, right in the middle, there's a center, uh, uh, the key to the thing, in the center. I think we do have one of those in Psalm 90, and I think it's verse 8. You set our iniquity before you. I think if we keep that in mind through all the sections of this psalm, uh, we'll have the things being an explanation of that and the grace of God in spite of that. So the 90th Psalm, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight, or but as yesterday when it's past, or as a watch in the night, you sweep them away as in a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we were brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days 
pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble, and they are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to fear of you? So, teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for us, or for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord, our God, be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's pray. Lord, our Father, help us to number our days. Help us to consider your wrath and our sin and to flee to the shelter of Jesus. Help us to live in your favor and that you'd establish the work of our hands in Jesus' name. Amen. Death. A few years ago, Ralph Stanley, an old bluegrass singer, had an unexpectedly, surprisingly popular hit with a stark, nearly a cappella. There was a little bit of accompaniment at sometimes, but a uh, large part of it just a cappella, just the old man starkly singing, Oh, death, woe, death, won't you spare me over till another year? What is this that I can't see? with ice-cold hands taking hold of me. And then death began to speak. And among the things death said was, I'll fix your feet till you can't walk. I'll lock your jaw till you can't talk. I'll close your eyes so you can't see. This very hour, come, go with me. I'm death. I've come to take your soul. Leave the body and leave it cold to draw up the flesh off of the frame. Dirt and worm both have a claim. And on it goes. And this became a surprising, as I say, surprisingly popular hit. And it got a lot of, got a lot of popularity, got a lot of airplay. And it's, just, it's not just that it's an emotional performance by a really stellar bluegrass singer. It, it's certainly that. But it's haunting because death haunts us. It touches us because... Death touches us, and we don't have all that many good ways to deal with it. Uh, we can deny it, uh, we can pass it off with gallows humor, or, uh, well, uh, we can kneel at the cross. That's, that's, that's pretty much the only uh, decent options available to us, because as much as we might like to think otherwise, life is a terminal event. It's going to end in one of two ways, death or the return of the Lord before that day comes. That's the only two options we have on exit. 
And so we need to think about this reasonably and spiritually and faithfully in light of the revelation that God gives us. And this is an important part of that revelation that God gives. And I don't know if anybody ever did it better, more truly, more deeply, and more touchingly here than God's man, Moses. The man who led a generation out of bondage in Egyptian slavery toward the hope of a free and wonderful home that God had promised. And then that whole generation fell short of it. And as we know, sadly, Moses included. 600,000 numbered men of Israel, those between 20 and 60, left from Egypt with the equivalent number of women. There would have been the elderly and the young as well. But the 600,000 men and their equivalent number of wives, we know that over a 40-year period, they perished in the wilderness. That's an average of about 30,000 funerals a year. 30,000 funerals a year. And he's the spiritual leader of that group. Moses, could you do a funeral for us? We got one at 3, 305, 310, 320. Sorry, guys, I'm busy today. I have to have one of my several assistants do the funeral for you. They actually, the people in the wilderness, they had a daily death count that's almost exactly the same as the modern day state of Oklahoma for 40 years. And Oklahoma has half again more people. And so just imagine how acquainted everybody on that trip becomes with death. So here writes Moses, the man of God, come to the scene to speak about death and about life. Life, troubled, transitory, sinful. About God who oversees it all. Majestic, timeless, eternal, sovereign judge. And though a holy, sovereign judge, still our refuge and our hope. So in sore trials, Moses learned a lot about death And a lot about life. And it left him where we should be at the end of any consideration of these things. It left him faithful, confident, humble, resolute, trusting. That's where we should end up as well. So the 90th Psalm, there's the four parts we'll look at. An eternal God, mortal men. Do we learn the lesson? And do we have faithful longing for God, a trust in the end? So, verse 1, again, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. We can say that now even with more confidence than Moses, right? Moses, about a thousand years after the flood, he could look back to God's dealings with, with Noah and his sons, the generations of people who then went their own way until... One of his great-great-grandfathers, I don't know how many greats, I didn't count it up, but one of his great-grandfathers, Abraham was called. And then Isaac and Jacob and all of the patriarchs. God had been their God. Moses has about a thousand year, about a millennium of retrospection back to the flood. We now have what? We now have about three more millennia of which we can say God has been our dwelling place in all 
generations. And so in the past generations, in Moses' own life, as God was with him, calling him at the burning bush through the plagues of Egypt, the Red Sea crossing, the chariots of Egypt being swept away in a flood in front of his eyes, the march through the wilderness, the manna, the water from the rock, the ten tablets, the daily uh, presence of a pillar of cloud and fire. God was with them and he could see that every day. It's Moses actually who in the scriptures has the first recorded psalm. Often we think of the psalms as the psalms of David and most of them that have a name attached are David's. We'll note that some are from priests. There's a couple from Solomon, a few other folks. But this one, older than the rest of the Psalter, a psalm of Moses. The very first song of Moses, Exodus 15, right after the Red Sea crossing, Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and rider he has hurled into the sea. I always sort of picture that one as being sung to something like the tune of the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. Horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. And then, and they ain't coming back no more, right? Anyway, uh, just just do that sometime. Uh, Exodus 15, the first song in the Bible. Take that with your Battle Hymn of the Republic in mind and go through that. And and Moses, not just the first songs, but uh, some of the things that Moses says, particularly in Deuteronomy, but not just there, they are the kind of the scene setter for the imagery of much more familiar psalms to come. So from uh, Deuteronomy 32, just an example. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteousness and upright is he. Some of the imagery of psalms go back to Moses. So this man, Moses, with confidence in God, who says, you've been with us since before the mountains. You've been with us from the foundation. You, from everlasting to everlasting, you are our God. So I I know what Moses knew of the past, because he's the one that wrote down it for us. So we have exactly the same view of the past and faith as Moses did. But I do wonder if Moses, you said, hey Moses, what do you think is going to look like 3,000 years in the future? That'd be us. I don't know all he'd picture, but I th- don't you think he would picture a people faithful to and protected by God? Yeah. I think he'd see that. So from everlasting to everlasting, Moses' view was not just to the, to the rear, but Moses' view was forward. But in the immediate, near, short term, view of the future, there's a big problem. There's a big roadblock. There's always a roadblock in the future if you go out a bit. Verse 3, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. And so, verse 2, he's from everlasting to everlasting as God. We go to dust and we're called back. Our time is short because of sin. Where it says return to dust, well, where do we think about that from the first time? Well, the record that Moses wrote, right, in the book of Genesis. We, we had this instruction, Genesis 2, 
Verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it you will surely die. How long does it take till he eats? Verse 19 of the next chapter, the curse to man, by the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. And so there Moses in the psalm is making reference to what Moses himself wrote in Genesis. He knew this well because he's the reason why we have the record. As one poet said about this point, he said, stout and strong today, tomorrow turn to clay. This day in his bloom, the next in his tomb. I often quote poetry at funerals. I probably won't use that one. It's very apt, but kind of a little too much on the nose, isn't it? We're subject to death, but not God. Verse 4, for a thousand years in your sight are as but a yesterday when it's past, or a watch in the night. Peter would make reference to say to the Lord, a day's a thousand years, a thousand years a day. Sometimes people literalize that and come up with all kinds of theories about different things. But it's actually, it's, uh, Moses didn't just give one comparison, he gave two. And it wasn't just that a day was as a thousand years. He said one watch of the night was to God like a thousand years. There's no, one watch a night, that's three hours. Three hours through one night. That's the same to God as a millennia. God is timeless, so time doesn't matter whatever comparison you want to make. All these comparisons fail when it comes to consider God with time. He's just not subject to it. Oh, but we are. We are subject to time. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed by morning. In the morning it flourishes, is renewed, in the evening it fades away. What did Isaiah say about this? The grass withers, it fades, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And so, we're no more than a day's worth of grass. We're no more than those flowers that bloom, but for a short time, we uh, have the hymn in our book, Where the Roses Never Fade, and we say, here we bloom, but for a season. Man, some of us are just hoping to get a full season. Sometimes we don't get that. It says this from Psalm 39. O Lord, make me know my end. And what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few hands breath. And my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as mere breath. Say law. That's where it says pause and consider. I saw in the news this morning, and it was a report a couple hours old when I saw it. It said there's a little bit of fog around Cakeland this morning. And by the time I got out, it was gone. I missed it. The fog wasn't here very long. But boy, what if the fog sets in and socks you in all day? You can really grab hold and get something out of that, right? No, it's no. Vapor, breath, flower, grass, uh, a, a few feet, uh, all these 
comparisons to things that are so ephemeral or so short. That is life because we are mortal man. So, again, why is it so? Because of sin. Verse 7, are we learning from that? For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. Why is his wrath so dismaying? Why are we so undone in the presence of God? You have set our iniquities before you. Our secret sins in the light of your presence. Our sin is before God. It's known to God. You know, there are some things that happen in life that do happen and you're just glad to get them, get them gone, get them out of the way. We talk about burying things or we talk about uh, throwing things out or, you know, there's some things in life that the only appropriate response is just a flush, right? Imagine if that were set before you. No thanks, get that out of here. Imagine now all of your iniquity set before God. It's just you, God, and your sins. What a terrible thought. Or all your secret sins in the light. Not the light of this world, but in the secret sins in the light of your presence. Now, I love my screen up here. I'm really glad I got my screen. I like to use it. Imagine though if that started broadcasting my secret sins while I'm preaching to you. I think y'all probably stop paying attention to me. You'd all look up there and pretty soon you'd be in horror. You might, if you were uh, kind enough, look away. And uh, Then though, not after it paid, played my secret sins, but then it played Doug's. Then it played Perry's and you start to recognize a pattern. How many of us would get out of here before it got to me? I don't want mine up there. But all your sins, all your secret sins, they are before God. He knows them all. He was there as a witness. And there is a record. How do we go on in life with our iniquity, even the most hidden, all before God? You know, some of these things, just the mere slightest recollection of them, just something that reminds us of that and it calls it vividly to mind, that's enough to destroy us. That's enough to ruin our day. That's enough to make us leave places. That's enough to just make people break down in tears sometimes. It's one of the reasons why some people, especially the unrepentant, are so uncomfortable to sit in a sermon. Because my job is to poke at your conscience. And yet y'all let me do that anyway. Because I do it hopefully not on my own, but do it through the word of God and to call you to him. But imagine a full recollection, a full record of everything you'd like to forget and have forgot. It's all there before God. No wonder verse 9 all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years in like a sigh. We might have 70 years, verse 10. We might have 80. But the span of them is toil and trouble. It's soon gone and we fly away. And so we think about the time of life in a sinful world. where so many without Forgiveness of those things, the cleansing of conscience which comes through Christ and Him alone. They end up in a life that just tries to be hidden, that is in sighing, that's seething under the weight of conscience and condemnation. The only hope that He lift those things from us and forgive us. And in comparison to our sinfulness, He sits there shining in absolute perfection. 
And without forgiveness, we must shrink away. Eventually, we would be cast away. But we can have hope in this time. We can go through these 70 or 80 years with some hope in God. We turn now to the book of Ecclesiastes. It reminds us of the saying that the days are long, but the years are short. So we read from Ecclesiastes 12. Remember the Creator in the days of your youth. Here I am, I'm back on the youth lecture part, right? It's all for youth and aged and everybody in between. Remember the Creator in the day of your youth. The sooner you get on the path of acknowledgement to God, humility to God, having God build your way, the better your life. So Solomon says, start young before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. Before the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. Sometimes that look like you're just looking through clouds all the time. And here I'm not talking about disposition and neither is Solomon. He's talking about your eyesight. Your eyesight's not as good as it was. And for most of it, it's not getting better. No, in the day when the watchmen of the house tremble and the mighty men stoop. And the grinding ones stand idle because they're few. Those who look through windows grow dim. And the doors to the street are shut. You don't go out as much. The sound of the grinding mill is low. One will rise to the sound of a bird. And all the daughters of song will sing softly. I have trouble hearing anything now, it seems like, except stuff that wakes me up. That little sound that I can hear that will wake me up, that I can hear, but the rest of it, I can't hear nothing. Ask my wife. We, it, things just decay. They're being used up. Furthermore, men are afraid of high places there. That's me. And terror's on the road. The almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper drags himself along. And the caperberry is ineffective. For a man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about in the streets. Therefore, remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed and the pitcher by the well is shattered and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. It's like, okay, Solomon, I got it. We're going to die. Yeah, all those descriptions. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. And concerning all the life then under this sun, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Down to verse 12, beyond this, my son, be warned. The writing of many books is endless, and excessive devotion book of two books is weariness to the body. The conclusion, don't need to write it all, don't need to study it all for yourself, just, I'm going to just jump you right to the conclusion. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is this. Fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to everyone. Or some translations is the whole duty of man. Or maybe the duty of every man. For God will bring every act to judgment. Everything which is hidden. Whether it is good or evil. Solomon was echoing what Moses had said. Five centuries before. We repeat it now. Two and a half millennia later. It is the same truth. And in this. And with this instruction from Solomon and Moses and other inspired writers and good and godly teachers and parents and preachers and 
Everybody trying to tell you who actually learns this lesson. Verse 11, who considers, who does, who, who is it? Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Help us to realize this is the way it is. This is, like the song says, this is the way it goes. So who learns from that? Well, it's really a wise man. And today it's those who know Christ. And they come in Christ to number their days aright. And they come to learn the fear of God, understanding his anger and his wrath. But also, like with Moses, here a great confidence. So now the last section. The faithful one under this. Return, O Lord. So Lord, don't flee from us, but let us flee to him. How long have pity on your servants? Be merciful like those blind men in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon us. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Again, like Solomon said, in your youth, find God. Remember God. Come to God. God, please, we plead, come to us that we may rejoice, be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us, for as many years as we've seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The only work of our hands that will be established, that can endure, is that which is sought in the mercy of God and built in the mercy of God. I, I, old saying, I saw it a, a old Spanish mission, uh, one life, it's quickly passed, only what's done in Christ will last. If we want our work to be established, it needs to be the work of God. Psalm 127, And lest the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And lest the Lord watch the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. In Christ, though, he will help us to build that which is true and right. Well, from Philippians 4, that which is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent. If there's anything worthy of these of praise, think on these things. Those things. And in those things, he will establish us and he will bless us. And there again from that passage, the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts. Our work will be established. Our minds, our hearts, our families, our congregations will and can be established and flourish. But anything outside of God, outside of the place where you'd say, God, have pity and have mercy on us and help us build this in your name. It's not going to, is it? It'll be swept away just as we are. And so, the faithful man Moses, who looked to God, who was the dwelling place of the faithful for all generations, hoped that he and his children and his children after him would have that hope. Let us do that. Let us think rightly, soberly, faithfully, also in Christ, confidently, about the things of death 
and the temporary life we have here. Make the best of it faithfully, seeking his mercy for that which remains the great hereafter. With that, we close. Ask you this morning to come to the invitation of Jesus Christ, the one who died for us but conquered death and offers us the promise of the same. If you need to come confessing him or confessing sins to return to him, we ask you to come now as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.